0: They told him, this is what Hezekiah says. This day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace, as when children come to the point of birth and there is no strength to to deliver them. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the field commander, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God. And that he will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, pray for the remnant that still survives. When King King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you have heard, those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen. I am going to put a spirit in him so that when he hears a certain report he will return to his own country and there I will have him cut down with the sword. When the field commander heard that the king of Assyria had left Lachish he withdrew and found the king fighting against Libna. Now Sennacherib received a report that Terechah, the Cushite king of Egypt, was marching out to fight against him. When he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah with this word. "'Say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, "'do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says "'Jerusalem will not be handed over to the king of Assyria. "'Surely you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done "'to all the countries, destroying them completely.' And will you be delivered? Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my forefathers deliver them? The gods of Gozan, Haran, Rezeph, and the people of Eden who were in Tel Assar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sephiroth, or Hena, or Ivar? Hezekiah received the letter. From the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord O Lord Almighty, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to all the words Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. It is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste all these peoples and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word the Lord has spoken against him. The virgin daughter of Zion despises and mocks you. The daughter of Jerusalem tosses her head as you flee. Who is it you you have insulted and blasphemed? Against who have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your messages you have heaped insults on the Lord. And you have said, with my many chariots, I have ascended the heights of the mountains. And the utmost heights of Lebanon I have cut down the tallest cedars The choicest of pines I have reached the remotest heights The finest of its forests I have dug wells in foreign lands And drunk the water there With the soles of my feet I have dried up the streams of Egypt Have you not heard? Long ago I ordained it In days of old I planned it Now I have brought it to pass that you have turned fortified cities into piles of stone. Their people drained of power and dismayed and put to shame. They, like the plants of the fields, like tender green shoots, like the sprouting on the roof, scorched before it grows up. But I know where you stay and where you come and go and how you rage against me. Because you rage against me, and because your insolence has reached my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth, and I will make you return by the way you came. This will be the sign for you, O Hezekiah. This year you will eat what grows by itself, and the second year what springs from that, and in the third year sow and reap, plant vineyards and eat their fruits. Once more, a remnant of the house of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here, he will not come before it with shield. Or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. Then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. One day, while he was worshipping in the temple of his god Nisroch, his sons Adramelech and Shereza cut him down with the sword and they escaped to the land of Ararat. And Eishadun, his son, succeeded him as king thanks be to lord
1: thank you steve for that long reading we've got two chapters today what do you do with two big chapters in Isaiah? we need god's prayer for for this so let's uh, turn to god in prayer gracious heavenly father we thank you that you continue to speak to us that this story though long ago you remain the same and the response you want from your people remains the same so help us to respond to you rightly as we reflect on this this morning we pray this in jesus name amen now how well do you know yourself Or, more specifically how well do you know yourself in the face of danger in the face of imminent threat when something scary, frightening comes upon you, how well do you know yourself? Are you a fight-or-flight type of person? Flight or fight? Now I somehow worked out what my kids are like. Around the corner, from my place on the way to church, when we walked to church or walked to the park, we always pass this house on a corner. And quite often, this happens to us. We're walking calmly, quietly, nicely, chatting away, looking at the streets, the birds, the trees, and, and then suddenly, woof, 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 maybe a lot more scary than that and louder and nasty than that, but about four to five crazy dogs, they just run out to the fence and they're barking away like they want to eat us. And what happens with our kids when that happens, happens quite often. We know it's there, but it still happens. They've taken flight, they're off, they've bolted away. A bit chicken there, got, got Yvonne's jeans there, but anyway, but me, you know what I do? I stay calm, I look like there's nothing wrong, I stare the dogs in the eyes, and I show to the kids I've got no fear. But in, in fact, inside my heart stopped a few beats as well, but at least my kids did not see that. But in our family, fight or flight, well, we've got this policy, and that is whenever we ever face a bear in a park, On our travels, we face something terrifying. Our policy is, Yvonne, you take the kids, you take flight, you go away, and I'll stand, I'll face the bear, or the possum, or kangaroo, whatever it is. I'll fight and defend our family. But what about you? Are you a flight or fight type of person? Well, apparently flight or fight, that's the natural response our doctors tell us. When something terrifying happens, our life is in danger, that's Automatically what our brain does is sends these hormones through our bodies and gets us to respond immediately you know the heart rate increases the the bladder relaxes as well tunnel vision shaking dilated pupils flush face that 's what naturally happens to our body in the face of danger but what type of person are you flight or fight when you 're at home and you walk into the kitchen and you see the pile of Dishes, dirty dishes that's been there for days. Fight or flight. Walk away, someone else will do it. What are you like? Or when you meet someone for the very first time, they're a stranger to you. Go in for a handshake, but they come in for a hug. Are you fight or flight at that moment? Or when you're at the park and a German shepherd runs at you. Fight or flight. What will you do? Or perhaps a bit more serious, when you come home, It's dark. You know, no one's meant to be home, but there's someone inside your home. Someone stealing stuff. At that moment, fight or flight. Or hopefully this never happens, but imagine just like in the movies, you're in an alleyway. However, you ended up there, don't know why, but you're in that alleyway and there is a a bunch of thugs. They're wanting your money. Fight or flight. But now let's take it up a a notch. Something perhaps even more scary but real. 1975, this was the experience of my parents. South Vietnam has fallen to North Vietnam and on one day the tanks, the soldiers from the north marched in the capital. At that moment, as a soldier of the south, fight or flight. Well, we know many soldiers, they just took off their uniforms and took off. Or 1940, World War II, Paris has fallen. And now the German soldiers, they march through the main streets of Elysees. What do you do then? Fight or flight. But now let's go back several thousand years, 2,700 years, to the year 701 BC. The most powerful king of that time, King Sennacherib, this guy, very powerful, very ruthless and nasty in charge of a huge empire, the Assyrian Empire. He he rules his military army with this this iron fist. He's powerful and he doesn't care. And And this empire has been sweeping through West Asia. It started in Nineveh and it's moving across all the colored areas they've conquered, they've taken over. And now they're coming towards you. They're moving like locusts devouring everything taking everything savaging everything slaughtering everything and now they're coming towards you now your brothers up in the north the the northern kingdom the 10 tribes they're already gone destroyed by assyria they've also taken over the fortified cities of judah now you're in jerusalem or the surrounding area that's that's all been taken over they've taken captive over 200,000 of your kinsmen And now they're at your footsteps. You're in Jerusalem, very small little circle just down the bottom there. They've taken over all that. That is their empire now. You're in Jerusalem, the last city standing. You're inside the city walls, outside the most powerful army the world has seen at that time. Soldiers, chariots, archers ready to come in, ready to take over. You're inside, you look at them, you look at each other, and you think, what hope is this? It's a lost cause. Terrifying. What do you do? Fight or flight. Well, that was the dilemma for the people of God in this long story that we've just read. And so if we have a look at what's happening, you're stuck inside the city walls. It's late siege to And if you think about it, you look at each other, we're small, we're just a city. They've got an empire and they're coming at us. You look at each other and think, well, on a human level, we've got every reason just to take off. Let's just go and flee. But outside, you've got the most powerful empire. How could you win? What hope is there? I mean, it's hard for us to feel that desperation. I mean, Assyrians, they were powerful, big. Jerusalem was small, just a city let me try to get us to sense that desperation just imagine if world war ii ended differently just imagine obviously it didn't happen this way but just imagine it ended differently where japan did invade and did take over they've taken over queensland taken over the northern territory western australia south australia new south wales and we're in victoria now we might think well, we'll take new south wales we don't care for them anyway that's all right but Just imagine, we're in Victoria, and then they move in on us, taking Shepparton, Geelong, Ballarat, Bendigo, and they're on the edge of Melbourne. I mean, we're just a city now. Their empire has taken over Australia and also Southeast Asia. They're huge. We're just small, just a little city. What chance do we have? Our life is in danger. There is no chance we can fight them. Well, that was what it was like for the people of God. And so they had every reason. Just take flight. Let's go. Let's flee. Let's get out of here. But to make matters worse, look at what the Assyrian field commander was doing. They were shouting abuse over the wars. They were taunting and mocking and provoking, making you feel so small, so weak, so little. Look at verses 4 and 5. This is what the great king, the king of Assyria says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have strategy and military strength, but you speak only empty words. And so what do you do? You're weak, you're small, fight or flight. Now, listening to all this, we're looking at chapter 36, by the way. Listening to all this taunting was Hezekiah, the king's own officials, Eli, king, Shepna, and Joah. I mean, they're frightened themselves. They're thinking, oh man, what chance do we have? What are we going to tell the king? Well, they're trying to contain the fear and they're telling the Assyrian commander, don't speak in Hebrew. We don't want the people to hear it. We don't want them scared. We don't want them frightened. Speak to us in Aramaic. That was the language of diplomacy back then. But then the Assyrian commander, verse 12, he says, was it only to your master and you that my master sent me to say these things? And not to the men sitting on the wall who, like you, will have to eat their own filth and drink their own urine. You See, they're coming with not just power with, but with such abusive, taunting words. And they continue to belittle and to mock. Don't believe you're king, you people. You've, you're only a city left. We've taken over everything already. Don't believe you're king. In fact, don't even trust your God. It's a losing battle. Look at verse 13 now. Then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. And it goes on. Verse 17 Just surrender. You people, you've got no chance. Just surrender and we will give you a land with new wine and bread and vineyards there's no way you'll be able to stop us. Look, look, look at us we're so big we're so powerful you are so small just give up don't even trust in your god so just imagine if you were there at that time in jerusalem amongst the people of god what would you be tempted to do take flight or fight you have every reason to just take flight go flee but then look at verse 21 look at what the people of god did verse 21 but but the people remained silent and said nothing in reply because the king had commanded do not answer him i mean they didn't run off it's a surprise but why Well, we'll come back to that later but now the report it gets back to the king Everyone is stressed out, they're distressed, they're tearing their clothes, they're tearing their clothes in grief and mourning. Now what do you expect the king to do now? You're the king of, it was meant to be a kingdom, but now it's only a city. What would you expect any king to do? The enemies are outside, you still have an army, though a small army, you still have fighting men guarding the wars, what would you do if you were king? The enemies are outside on the, on the edge of Melbourne. You are the Lord of all in this city. What will you do? Well, isn't this now the opportunity to show what type of king you are? Let's see what you would do. Let's see you fight. If anything, they're belittling you, crushing your pride, making you feel like anything but king. And so they're saying, look at verse 10 now. They're saying in chapter 37, say to king uh, say to hezekiah king of judah do not let the god you depend on deceive you when he says jerusalem will not be handed over to the king of assyria surely you have heard what the kings of assyria have done to the countries destroying them completely and will you be delivered so imagine you're king at that point that's what you're hearing what would you do take off your crown and surrender Well, if I was king, I'd say, well, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight to my death. This is my last fight. They'll die or I'll die trying. But what did Hezekiah do? I mean, this should be surprising. This should be, in fact, shocking. Did he fight or flight? Well, he did something else, something that, that is not immediately natural. It's not our natural instinct. You see, our natural instinct in the face of danger will be to take flight or to fight. That's how our brain is wired. But Hezekiah here, he did in one sense something that was so unnatural. He did not go with his instincts. He didn't fight or flight. But here we see he expressed faith. He knew, God will protect me. There's no need for me to fly away, to flee he knew God will fight for me. There's no need for me to fight at all. I mean, but think about how hard that will be in that moment. Your life is in danger. The, the life of all those around you is in danger. But yet, just to sit tight and to be patient and to do nothing, that's so difficult, so unnatural. And so Hezekiah here, he, he goes to the temple of God, falling prostrate before God in prayer. And this prayer now he prays is in fact quite wonderful, quite marvellous. A wonderful prayer for us to keep in mind. In the face of danger and uncertainties and whatever we might experience, threats and all, it is God who still rules. It is God who still reigns. Just like our theme we've been seeing in this series, it is God who remains the sovereign king over all. And so whatever situation they found themselves in, it never escaped God's purposes. And Hezekiah knew that. And here we see him praying, seeking not his glory, not his honor, not his reputation. He was seeking the honor and reputation of God. And what he did is, in fact, in his prayer, expand on what Jesus, how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Hallowed be your name. And so look at verses 16 and 17 now. Hezekiah prayed, "O Lord Almighty, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to all the words that Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God." And so, do you see what Hezekiah is pleading here? He knows God, your honor is at stake. They're insulting not just us. They're insulting you. Your honor is at stake. They're mocking you, blaspheming against you. Now, God, you show them that you're God. Show them that no one messes with you. And so Hezekiah, praying that, he he knew. There's no need for me to take matters into my own hands. He turned to God in faith. And what did God do? When people mock God in such humiliating ways who is your god what can he do he can't save you i mean what would god do what should god do i mean even on a human level even today in some countries around the world if you insult the head of state you find yourself in big trouble in poland today if you publicly insult the president you could be punishable by up to three years in prison today In the Netherlands, if you insult the monarch, you could land up to five years in prison. In Thailand, say anything about the royal family publicly, and it's up to 15 years in prison. In the ancient world, if you said anything against the king or queen, what would often happen? Well, you get your head chopped off. But here, do you see what they were doing? They would even dare... To insult and to mock the God who made everything, the God who gave them life. And so God responds Look at verse 23. Who is it you have insulted and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel. I mean, God knows, God saw. They were mocking him and reflecting on that it just frightens me how how common that type of attitude is today amongst the people around us where they would speak about god in such derogatory ways use god as a swear word talk as talk about god like his dirt and rubbish I, I mean so many of these people just have no idea who they are speaking out against they're speaking out against the god one day they'll face in judgment and they'll face the full wrath of God, and that is terrifying. Recently I was told by a friend who went to watch some comedy shows in in Melbourne, and and he shared of how many of these comedians often would use for their material as jokes and for laughter. They will speak about God and Jesus and Christianity. They will speak about God in such derogatory ways. But you think about this and you see what God, God realizes, God shows. I mean, God is not pleased with that. God is the last person you want to make fun of. And so what happened to a the Indian? Well, it's not a nice picture. As powerful, as invincible they were in the ancient world, they'll be put in their place. They'll be domesticated like a cattle, a ring through their nose, sent back the way they came from. Look at verses 28 and 29. But I know where you stay and where you come and go and how you rage against me because you rage against me and because your insolence has reached my ears i'll put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and i'll make you return by the way you came and eventually that's what happened to assyria Eighty-five thousand of their soldiers were killed by the angel of god just like that sennacherib their king thinking that he's invincible thinking that he rules the world well what happened to him He was worshipping in the temple where his own God should have protected him. But what happened? His own sons kill him and one of them becomes king next. It shows us the proud will always be brought low. And so fight or flight, that's our natural instinct. Well, none of them. Wrong options. Instead, Hezekiah here, he kept his calm did not take matters into his own hands he turned to god in faith but of course we want to ask why why would anyone do that why faith instead of fighting taking matters into my own hands or flighting taking off fleeing getting away from a problem why turn to god in faith well the answer comes in understanding the key verse of these chapters it comes in understanding who god is and why god would act there's a verse that shows us who god is and why god is god god would act and it's in verse 35 have a look there verse 35 i will defend this city god says and save it for whose sake not for your sake But for my sake, we read, for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. God will save the city, not for Hezekiah's sake, but for God's own sake. And that's because God years ago, he's already promised and he will keep his promise. You see, if God did not save Jerusalem at this point, let's imagine if Assyria did in fact break the walls, get in, kill off all the people of God, kill off Hezekiah and his family. What do you think that would mean if God let that happen, if that did in fact happen? Well, what that would mean would be that God would have failed, failed to keep his promises to Abraham, the one who made promises to years ago, saying that you will be blessed, you'll have many descendants, and through your descendants, the world will be blessed. If they all died off, there's no promise. It will also mean that God would have failed to keep his promise to King David. God promised David there will always be a king from your line. There will always be a Davidic king who will sit on your throne. If Hezekiah and his family was killed off, well, God would have broken his promise. and It would mean that God would have failed to protect his people, and God will be shown to be a fraud but God says here I will defend this city and I will save it for my sake you see if God's made a promise he will keep it and he will always keep it that's the goal we see in this passage and now it's at this point that now this story that seems so distant it is at this point that this story now becomes so relevant to us today in 2018 do you think, what do you think God's ultimate purpose was in just saving that city of Jerusalem? In saving Hezekiah? Why did God act so powerfully again? Send an angel to kill 85,000 soldiers? Why save them in such a way? I mean, they didn't deserve it. Over the last few weeks, we've been seeing the people of God, they were deserving of judgment. They were wicked and evil. They did not deserve it so what was God's ultimate purpose in saving the city and the king well it wasn't for Hezekiah's sake but this is where it becomes relevant to us you see in saving Hezekiah it was through Hezekiah that God will ultimately through his descendant a greater king will come a greater son of Hezekiah will come about who would save not just the city but would save the world and save even us and who is that greater king of hezekiah who will come from his line who is that descendant who will come from david of course we know it is jesus christ himself it is jesus christ himself god saved that city saved that king said that one day the messiah would come and when we look at the life of this greater king this jesus who will one day come It's when we look at his life, we'll see, well, that's why we need to trust in God. It's when we look at his life, that's why we must express faith in God. Because if we look at this descendant of Hezekiah, what do we see? We see also another king. Another king, a bit like Hezekiah, didn't fight and didn't take flight, didn't take matters into his own hands. Another king, a greater king, who also expressed perfect faith in God. I mean, let's reflect just a bit on the life of Jesus. Didn't fight, didn't take flight, but always expressed faith in God at each and every moment. He was in the desert for forty years, I mean forty days, starving, being tempted by Satan. What could Jesus have done at that point? Could have fought. I mean could have fought back against Satan, just click the finger and Satan would be gone. Jesus had the power of the universe at his disposal. He could have fought or he could have just taken flight, gone back up to heaven. Forget this. I'm not doing this. I'm back up to heaven where there is the banquet. But he didn't. He kept faith. He trusted in God, his Father. Or in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was arrested. I mean, again, he could have taken things into his own hands, taken matters into his own hands. He could have fought fought off the soldiers very easily click the finger and they'll all be gone they'll all be dead or he could have fled taken flight this is enough i don't want to be arrested i'm going home i'm going back up to heaven but jesus didn't do that he kept faith or when he was finally mocked and insulted and beaten and crucified and when he was hanging on the cross he could have fought back He could have said, this is enough. I don't want to die at the hands of these wicked people. Click his finger and they'll all be dead. You don't deserve me. Or he could have taken flight, disappeared, gone back up to heaven. But he didn't. He kept faith. Faith in his father who can even raise the dead. And so when we see how Jesus lived, this greater king who came from Hezekiah, when we see what God did in not even sparing his own son but allowed him to be crucified and to meet the grave let me now ask that same question I asked at the beginning if you know that what type of person are you fight or flight or will you be a bit more like Hezekiah or even more like Jesus faith in God each and every moment you see the apostle paul when he understood that when he grasped that god did not even spare his own son what did paul say the apostle paul in romans 8 he said these marvelous words if god is for us who can be against us if god did that who can be against us and if that is so true how can we not express faith in god you know these wonderful words paul said If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? You see, if that is the type of God God is, who keeps his promises, even to the extent that this greater king, this greater king who would come, would not be spared, how can we not? express faith in God and so this is what we live with as Christians today isn't it we live with this confidence this assurance that whatever experience we might have whatever might come our way whatever tragedy or trauma or pain or suffering or sorrow if God is with us if God is for us who can be against us and notice the order there is not that we're on God's side but he's on our side but of course it's not very often i mean this is still larger than life i mean not many of us face life and death situations all the time it's not like we face life and death situations each week that's true but it can happen and it does happen and perhaps even for some of us at this point in this church are feeling that way there is a life and death situation only within the last month i've heard two stories from amongst us one from a brother one from a sister two stories that showed how this applies so much remembering if god is for us who can be against us now just within the last month i asked permission to to share this story but these two were in the face of a life and death situation the brother of ours needing to have a biopsy. It wasn't looking good at all. The the first prognosis from the doctor says it's actually not looking good. You know, this this is very serious. And the sister, likewise, it's not a very serious situation. It it was accidental that this was discovered about your heart. You might need open heart surgery now, both confronted with the possibility of death. What do you do at a moment like that? When you go to the doctors not expecting such diagnosis and you hear that what do you do fight fight it let's try to muster up strength and fight this somehow flight take off ignore it or faith well let me share how encouraged I was listening to the responses of both of these death was staring them in the eyes but how did they respond this brother said even though this might be it, we're not sure yet, the Bible is still to come. Even though this might be the situation now, it is frightening, honestly. But I'm praying that somehow, even through this, God might be glorified. Even through this difficulty, the kingdom of God might still advance. I mean, that's expressing real, real faith, isn't it? That is acknowledging if God is for us, who can be against us? not even death and this sister likewise said in the face of this open heart surgery i don't fear death i know where i'll be but if that is the will of god that is the will of god i'll go through whatever it is trusting in god didn't fight it didn't need to avoid it to take flight but expressed deep genuine faith really trusting what paul said if God is for us who can be against us not even death and that's the right response isn't it for us who are believers for us who are Christians and if faith means if faith means that God's will might even be in moments like that that my life will be taken away faith also means that i trust in this same god who can raise the dead it is still okay because death cannot separate us from the love of god if god is for me then who can be against me not even death and that's what this brother and sister understood so encouraging to hear these are amongst us and that's to be like what job said remember job the story of job suffering agony lost his kids lost his wealth lost pretty much everything and what did he end up saying though the lord slay me yet i will hope in him i mean even god took my life i'll still hope in him why could he say that because this is the god who can still raise the dead and so this morning if you are not yet a believer yeah you don't believe in Jesus Christ it's so good that you you are here but my question to you is isn't that also the type of confidence you want to have in your life in living this life that this faith means if God is for us who can be against us and so if that is you this morning you don't know where you stand with God let me encourage you to speak out to speak to me but of course for the rest of us it's not every week we face life death situation like that it is true for some amongst us but it's not every week and not every day but even in the worst situation if we can express such faith of course surely certainly in the weekly daily decisions we make we surely must express that same faith in God I mean how much more so should we and so as I was reflecting on this in our church's life what we've been through our our past few months our past few weeks and now thinking about the future there's so much isn't it that we are to think about and to do and to organize even in light of the election i mean people will continue to shout insults over the wars at us you christians what are you doing god will not save you why do you believe in such nonsense they'll continue to hold her insults and abuse and taunt What do we do fight flight or do we continue to trust that this is the god who is for us but also for us as a church particularly now as we think about what we do as a church what we think about where we plan how we invest where we put our resources so many decisions so many things to decide on so many things to plan so many meetings so much so so much But I'm reminded by this again, not take matters into our own hands, not fight, not flight, but we can express faith in the God who is for us. I'm a mere man, you are mere people. What are we but people in the hands of God? And so that's what God calls us to do as we move forward as a church. What do we do? Not take matters into our own hands, but to express faith in the God who is for us. The God who did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. That's my prayer. And hopefully that's yours too. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do confess that so often we are prone to wonder. Wonder from the God we love and how of little faith we are that even when we know and see that you did not even spare your own son, but gave him up for us all, and knowing that how will you not also along with him give us all things? And so grant us all a deep, genuine, sincere, lasting faith in you, one that will abound with joy and hope. Because if you are for us, who in all this creation can be against us? And we pray trusting in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen